0: Hello and welcome, my name is Joe O'Mara, I'm the Head of Aviation Finance with KPMG and on behalf of KPMG and Airline Economics I'm delighted to be joined by Eamon Forbes. Eamon is the Chief Commercial Officer with Titan Aviation Leasing. He's joining us for the purpose of our Aviation Leaders Report, I should say we're recording this in early December. Eamon, thanks as always for joining us Um, before we get
1: into the meat of the conversation, would you mind telling our watchers a little bit about Titan? Sure, Um, Titan has been around for over 10 years, Um, we now Um, have 41 uh, aircraft, we are a specialist uh, in freighters Um, So we don't lease passenger aircraft as such, um, although that doesn't prohibit us from taking passenger aircraft and converting them into freighters. In fact, right now we have four aircraft in conversion. Um, The number of aircraft we have today is 41. That's up from 30 last year. Um, And we've also doubled the amount of customers that we have through 2022. Uh, We have offices uh, in Singapore, uh, in Dublin um, and New York. Um, And I guess one thing to mention as well is our, our extremely strong support that we receive from our two shareholders in Atlas Air and Bain Capital Credit.
0: And Can you talk to me a little bit, Eamon, about, about maybe generally the freighter market? So I would say a lot of our watchers have just heard, geez, freighter's booming, e-commerce is strong, used to be a spiky market, maybe there's been a step change in growth, but it's probably more fragmented than that. Do you want to talk to us a little bit about how the freighter
1: market actually breaks out into different segments? Yeah, sure. And I, I think yeah, and it's, you know, it's easy to, to say what's happening in the freighter market or what's happening in the cargo market. The fact is there's probably five, if not six different markets within that one market. Um, We start with the the regional freighters, turboprops, um, something around the 10 tonne type of range. Um, We don't play in that. Next up, 737 um, market, which we certainly do play in. Um, And we're seeing some movement from the A320 conversion programme there as well. Next up, um, we look at the A321 um, and the 757. Um, After that, you have the A330 and the 767, um, and then the wide body market, um, which is your 74-8, your 777, and your A350 freighter uh, coming down the line. But even within those, you have production freighters, and then you have aircraft that are converted from passenger to freighter. So arguably, there's, about eight or ten different markets within the one market. And and maybe taking it broadly and breaking into the segments that Titan
0: operated in, how have you seen demand evolve over the course of 2022? And as you look out into next year, what opportunities are you
1: seeing? Yeah, good question. And, and I think let, let's take the 737 market because that's been a very dynamic market um, for conversion over the last two or three years. We've essentially gone from zero to about 140 converted freighters today in the 737 market. Um, and that's across the globe. Um, there's a lot of Boeing operators out there. It carries about 20 tonnes of freight. It's, it's the workhorse of, of the industry, really. Um, the A320, is pushing in there. Um, To date, I think there's only been one A320 conversion. So we'll see where that goes. Um, But, you know, Airbus are coming in uh, more strongly into that market. We go up a gauge, the A321, the 757. The 757 has really been the workhorse of the industry for the last 20 years. Roughly 600 of them flying around. Um, For all of the talk about the A321 conversion programme, we only have 12 produced at this moment in time. Um, The 757 isn't going to go on forever. We do expect the A321 to to come up there, but it's got an awful long way to go. Um, Feedstock isn't readily available because airlines like the A321 as a passenger aircraft. So there's a little bit to go there. Uh, The 757 story um, isn't finished yet. Moving up to the 7.6, we're a large lessor of the 7.6.7. It's an aircraft we know well and love. Um, The A330, Uh, is coming, um, I think, to challenge it uh, on the passenger to freighter side. Remember the 767 freighter, production freighter, is still actually being produced by Boeing and I think Air Canada and UPS are taking uh, aircraft at the moment. So, while again the A330 is coming, um, we've only had 22 A330 passenger to freighter conversions today, yet you've got over 500 757s flying around. So it shows you um, it shows you there's, a, there's still quite a gap to the new technology from the old technology to come. Um, moving up then to the, the wide widebodies, um, and to date we actually don't even have a 777 converted aircraft. IAI are obviously working very hard to get one uh, to market next year. Um, whereas the production freighter um, has been going very well and indeed our parent atlas um, uh, signed up for four of those recently Uh, the 747-8 again atlas is the last taker of those of the production freighters Um, but what i would say um, going forward is that i think you probably see retirements of the older 747s um, 747 400s um, and then there there's going to be a natural gap there and we would see the triple seven the converted triple seven um, as being a potential, uh, a potential uh, step in there for people. Um, I got to mention the A350 as well. Um, I think they have seven customers today. Um, I think that program is going to try and launch in about two years time. Be very interesting to see uh, how Airbus get on with that. Yeah, so, so great download there on, on the metal side.
0: If you look at the customer side for you from an airline perspective yeah. or broader than airlines, probably customers more yeah. generally, where have you seen that demand and where are you
1: expecting more demand to come from on that side of the house? Yeah. I mean, for the last two years, it's been the Americas and it's been EMEA in the main. Um, you know, the story of 2022 has probably been inflation. I think the story of 20 th- 2023 is going to be China reopening. Um, and we're not just us, but I think probably all of our competitors in the market generally um, is we're going to see a change here. We're going to see China moving back to, you know, six plus percent growth per annum. And um, we're going to see supply chains coming back. Um, and I think to that end, you're going to see more demand for, I think all gauges of cargo aircraft. Um, within Asia, obviously your 737s, um Trans-pack, I think your 777s and your 747s.
0: And y- you mentioned kind of the competitor angle there. When you think of your competitors, is it the large-scale lessors who view this as kind of a, a niche, possibly an exp- expanding niche? Or are there other, you know, freighter-specific lessors
1: that you say, well, there's the guys we're playing against? Yeah, both. Um, and look, when we take the overall market here, uh, you say 25,000 commercial aircraft flying around roughly. Um, about 8% of those today are freighters. So you can call it, you know, for round numbers, let's say 10%. Um, in the latest Boeing uh, forecast, that 2,000, 2,200 is set to rise to about 3,200, 3,300 by 2040. That's about a 4% annualized growth. So the passenger lessors, um, who are also in the freighter leasing market, I think are in there, um, some for their own reasons, some are historical, some are portfolio issues. Um, we have dedicated um, freighter lessor competitors as well. Um, and I think there's a, you know, there's, there, there's a place for everybody as such. Um, we don't have a legacy portfolio in Titan. We, we're targeting specific aircraft that we want to place that we think of a long-term future. And if we look at maybe the macroeconomic and maybe geopolitical
0: environment, I mean, we have we're in a period of now as much uncertainty as you've seen. You alluded Great. to inflation. We have massive interest rate volatility. Yeah. We've had the challenges coming out of the Russian invasion of Ukraine. When you're sizing up those challenges, what have you found has been the most difficult aspect for the business, and how challenging is it to make
1: medium-term plans when we are in a world of significant uncertainty? Yeah, I think it's a great question, and, and I think the main thing for us, Joe, um, is around interest rates, actually. Um, I think maybe we've weathered that storm now, um, but at the start of the year, we were at, say, 0.5%. Today, we're at 4%, um, and that sort of impacts how investors look at our space as well. You know, do you put your money into a, a 4% bond and it's safe and secure? Um, or do you put it into a leasing company? So the, the, the arbitrage is certainly different to what it was earlier in the year. Um, geopolitical is huge, right? Because um, look, we have nothing in Russia, um, but we're very cognizant of that market. We do have aircraft um, in the Middle East. Um, and, and I think the geopolitics is playing a huge part in how people are thinking, particularly how um, bankers are thinking and maybe investors as well. Um, so I think um, when we're looking at something, we look at the assets, we look at the jurisdiction, we look at the prevailing financial markets at the time, um, and you, you sort of put them all into, a, into, the, into the mixing bowl as such. And and on that interest rate
0: piece, you know, there should be a correlation between lease rate factor. You know, historically, we've always seen an impact, but a somewhat delayed and and not often directly correlated piece.
1: What are you seeing on the lease rate factor side linked to that interest rate environment? Well again, you know, um, I guess there's two things there. With inflation, in theory, asset prices should go up. Um, With uh, with interest rate increases, you're right, lease rates should go up. Um, and I think we're seeing maybe a little bit of that. Um, I, I'm hearing from my passenger, lessor colleagues. I think they're probably feeling it a little bit more. Um, but what we do is we put an interest rate adjustment on every offer that we send out to our customers. So we're, if you want to call it, hedged against yeah. it.
0: Yeah, no, 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 that's understood, right? And probably not market standard, right? But but a yep. great defense to have. Um, generally on the debt markets, can you talk yeah. to us on your perspectives on Do you think it is a functioning market when you go to finance? Are you seeing lots of sources of funding? Uh, And then I might welcome your thoughts on the capital markets and whether it's
1: an area you see yourselves playing in the future. So I think think the debt market is quite tight right now. Um, We have um, a dedicated warehouse facility and a dedicated bridging facility which we use um, for the aircraft that we're uh, mid-conversion. But we do go out into the debt markets um, and to me, um in my you know 16 17 years in the industry um it feels as tight as i've seen it maybe bar the 2008 9 10 type of type of time people have become more conservative ltvs have gone down i think margins have gone up Um, and i think people um are a little bit pickier Um, and that's where your relationships really come in though so you know we've built up good banking relationships over the last few years, um, and people who understand our business, and they don't look at it like, oh, you're a freighter business, so therefore we don't do it. Um, there's a lot more to us, and uh, but you have to educate people, and you have to get people to understand your business. But overall, um, my sense is that the debt market is quite tight. Yeah, and we've seen uh, the capital markets, obviously very sentiment
0: driven, and at yeah. the moment, if we look at something like ABS, or even unsecured for some of the larger lessors, um, a very constrained market. Um, yeah. To the extent that was to come back, and it probably came back quicker in, in 21 than probably people mm-hmm. thought it would, is that an area you
1: see potentially Titan looking to tap uh, into the future? Yeah, I think we, we wouldn't rule it out. Um, I think that's it's a certainty. But it goes back to my comment with regard to interest rates earlier. If, some, if an investor can go out and get a 4% yield on a 10-year US uh, government bond, um, and I'm offering an E note in an ABS at Let's say eight percent, you know maybe like maybe a lot of investors are quite happy with their four um, percent as opposed to you know it was point five percent this time last year. So I think that market has shrunk because of that. Um, will it come back? It always has. Um, i've no doubt that it will come back again in the future um, and to me, you know securitizations, capital markets. It's it's another it's another source of financing, and we should absolutely be there. Um, we're you know we're a mature organisation, we're financially savvy, and I don't see any reason why we shouldn't play in the future. And um, you mentioned obviously having the backing of Bain and Atlas.
0: Maybe focusing on Bain, private equity has been a huge pillar of aviation investment yeah. over time. Can you talk to us a little bit about how your relationship with Bain has evolved over the last couple of years? We've We've been through COVID, we've been through geopolitical challenges and lots of uncertainty. The, the freighter market to an extent has been more resilient than yeah. others, yeah. but their appetite for aviation and their attractiveness to the sector, has that evolved at all over the last couple of years,
1: what you've seen? I would have said, you know, the relationship out Bain number one is an excellent one. It's a really good working relationship. Um, but what I would say is that I don't think they're much different to a lot of other people in the space. I think, I think if you're a private equity company, you're looking at everything. You're looking at where can I get a yield? Where can I get a return? Where can I get a good management team? um, Where can I invest in assets that I think have a future? Um, So I think, you know, there's, you know, call it 10 private equity companies in the world that invest in aviation. Um, You know, I don't think they're, you know, unique, um, but at the same time, from our perspective, we get on really well with them um, and they want to grow the business with us and bringing it maybe to
0: the leasing sector more broadly what we've seen in looking at kind of passenger uh, aircraft lessors is that that uptick in that percentage of leased asset which now has kind of breached 50 percent, and has probably had a shift post-COVID where there's been a deepening relationship with lessors and the flexibility offered by lessors is probably appreciated more by airlines. Can you talk to us how that correlates with cargo where you're probably dealing um, with a slightly different pool at times uh, of operators and, and whether or not you've seen any shifts
1: in the relationship between you know cargo lessors and their customers? Yeah I mean it's a funny one because a lot of airlines have come out of COVID with huge cash Um, And and a few of our customers would tell us, well, we don't need to lease right now. Um, And I know you're absolutely right, uh, vis-a-vis the the 50% um, passenger side. Um, I don't have the exact number for the freighter side. I'm guessing it's mirrored. Um, But on the new production side in freighters, you still see a lot of, um, whether it's EXIM or ECA style financings going on on the new side. Um, In in the market where Titan plays, we see a lot of leasing, um, and it's it's a really good question as to what the percentage is in the freighter side. Um, my sense is that it could be higher than the passenger side, actually, um, particularly on the older assets. Um, but look, COVID has brought us a lot closer to our customers. I, in it's in 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 that way that we sat down, we talked to them, we really tried to understand their business. When then when we were able to travel, we got out to them, and I think the relationships have actually become a lot deeper, certainly from our side. And from what I'm hearing around the market, I think most people would agree with that, that people have, from a leasing perspective, have gotten closer to their customer. And maybe focusing on the OEMs for a moment, um, how challenging
0: has it been on the freighter side in relation to supply chain problems, delayed deliveries? You know, is it having a similar knock-on effect on the freighter side that it's having on the passenger side?
1: Yeah, no. I think um, again, relationship-wise, you're 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 talking Boeing Airbus, but then you're also talking about the conversion houses, um, and there's no doubt there's been a major issue um, with supply chain, um, and I think the China closed down, um, you know, and hopefully the China open up will have a big impact on that. Um, you know, if you want to. Go down the the OEM route for a second. I mean, Airbus are coming to this game. You know, I won't say late, but Boeing are the incumbent. Um, the A350 is going up against the triple seven. We'll have a new triple seven, 28, 29 as well. Um, so it's going to be a very interesting market. And I talked about the 21 and the 757. I talked about the A330, the 767. Um, we're going to see a lot of head to heads. Uh, over the next uh, five or six years. Uh, but specifically on the supply chain, yes, it has been difficult. Um, and particularly the conversion houses will tell you it's been extremely difficult. And can I bring you in on that conversion house piece? So, you know, I think
0: you guys are an experienced uh, Cargo Lessor, you have Atlas there, who again has been in the space for a long, long time and knows what they're doing. Um, I've had plenty of conversations with investors who said, well, if we're going to buy this old aircraft, we're going to flip them, we're going to convert it. And then they realise they need to find a slot, right? Can you talk to us a little bit about P two uh, PTF um, and just how challenging that is and whether or not we need more
1: capacity in that market? And again, I'd go back to my five or six different yeah. markets. I think there's plenty of capacity in the 737 market. I think there's almost nothing available on the A330 side until about 2026, 20, 27 uh, A321 uh, is about 25, 26. Um, you will get 767s seven, and 757s seven, in the next 12, 18 months, so not as constrained there. Um, and then on the 777, as we've mentioned, well, one hasn't even been produced yet. So, um, so different stages, Um, across those different markets. Um, Remember as well, Boeing are still producing the 7.6 production. So there, you know, I think you can probably get one of those in 12, 18 months' time. Um, But the A330 and the A321 programs are definitely more challenging. And I think there probably would have, I think there's more demand there than supply right now. And and just bringing you back maybe
0: to the more general market, you know, some of the conversations we've been having for this uh, report. Some are a little bit more uh, bearish on cargo and Mm -hmm. saying that, look, is that e-commerce bounce we've seen sustainable? What are your thoughts on that? Again, I know it's a fragmented market, but maybe looking at it holistically, you're outlook into the future on, on Cargo yeah. from, a, from a growth perspective? Yeah,
1: let's take it broadly for a second. Um, I would say it's been extremely resilient over the last, call it six months. Um, I think 2023 is going to have its challenges um, for the reasons that we've, we've mentioned. Um, but again, we're a long-term lessor. The leases that we're signing are, f- are for eight, ten or twelve years. So we're, we're not sort of playing a 12 month or an 18 month or a 24 month game here. So we look at this from a long term perspective. And when you look at even taking that Boeing report again, looking at retirements that are coming, we see from the supply side, um, we'd hope to get some more aircraft through the system, but the demand side, we're seeing no drop off whatsoever. Um, Are we being more cautious? Probably over the course of the next, call it 12 months in the short term, but in the long term, I can't see any argument to say that this market isn't a growing market. Eamon, and just in closing, right, speaking to that
0: positivity and then some of the uncertainty we've chatted about, what are your optimism levels like?
1: So as we look out into 23, what are they like? I would say good. Um, I think I would have been more positive this time last year. Um, I think the uncertainties that we've already mentioned, but I think those uncertainties are going to be counterbalanced by China opening up. Uh, I think that's going to create both supply and demand positives. Uh, supply positives because you be get goods out of China and demand from within China. And I think that's going to have a huge effect in the broader, the broader Asian region as well. Um, and if you remember back, you know, 12, 18 months ago in Europe and the States, the bounce that we had when we opened up and we you know, went out to the shops again, and we, we started flying again. Um, I think there's going to be a major bounce um, in Asia, which I think is going to be a real positive. Um, I'm cautious though for Europe um, and the Americas, um, but I think there could be a good counterbalance with Asia. Well, I will
0: take that semi-optimistic note, Eamon. I'd like to thank you as always for thank your you. insights and wish you and
1: Titan a very successful 2023. Thank you, Joe.